Thank you so much. Good morning, and happy Mother's Day on this Lord's Day, and we bring the two together when we're worshiping our Lord and Savior on a day, a unique day such as this. This is an opportunity where all of us can find relevance in God's Word, where we're at. We've all had mothers, and we have the opportunity today, of course, to thank them if they are with us, and if they're not, to be able to reflect upon them and to give God praise for the lessons of life we've learned about through for them. And there's a passage of Scripture that I think can help equip us to be able to do this well. So with your Newer Testaments, now I'd love for you to turn to the book of Titus, small book, and find your way there. And it's arranged in such a way where all your T's kind of connect together because you've got your First and Second Thessalonians, T-H, First and Second Timothy, T-I, then you've got your Titus, and you say, but Timothy and Titus are, uh, are T-I's, well, T-I-M is before T-I-T, and so that's how I kind of keep all the, my T's crossed here. And so you're, you're now in Titus by that point, and in chapter 2, and beginning in verse 1, I'm going to take it down through verse 5, and I want us to see the relevance, how this connects, frankly, with each and every life and the bearing that it has upon our minds, our hearts, and our souls this morning. So in Titus chapter 2, beginning verse 1, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, and love, and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what's good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So what we're going to do is to collect a lot of thoughts here as it relates particularly to this unique day that we're experiencing together. Male or female, there are lessons in this for you and for me to be able to apply. To do it, we're going to look to our Lord first in prayer. Now our Father, as we're coming before you, we're asking that you would speak, speak truth into our hearts. There is a wide spectrum. There's the masculine aspect of our congregation. We thank you for men. And they have opportunity now to think about their mothers, the way Jesus would regarding his mother. As for the ladies, some are some are mothers. And there are the complexities of the various seasons of life, depending upon the age of the children and the age of the mother. There's a complexity to life in all of this, and we want to see the children come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. Then there are those who are pondering the fact that their mothers are no longer with them. And there's this void this afternoon. One time we might have visited or picked up the phone and called and no longer there. I pray that your spirit will be poured into their hearts and minds and souls this morning and bring strength and perspective and comfort where it's needed. For the one father that longs to have a child and not as yet, 
for all the various complexities that come into this whole matter of male and female and generations before and after. And all the social dynamics we're placed in today. We need your wisdom. So Father, in these minutes together, what we're asking is that you would warm these hearts, engage these minds, and shape these wills. So again, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. And we're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you're thinking about your mother, what crosses your mind? And what distinctives are there about her that have stood out before you? I thought about that recently because two things stood out in my memory as I began to think about my relationship to my mother. I recall a time when I was roughly 16 years old and I'd had a very bad game out on the basketball court for my high school team. It seemed as though whenever the ball was in my hand and then the ball was leaving my hand, the ball found its way to the rim and didn't go through the net. And so it was about 10 o'clock at night, and we had a spotlight on in the backyard, a basketball hoop on my our garage, and I was still practicing my jump shot, trying to get this thing worked out. What was it about my arm slot that was keeping that ball from going in? When all of a sudden I heard this basketball getting dribbled, being dribbled behind me, I thought I was alone, and I turned, and there was my mother dribbling a basketball. And she walked up next to me, asked, how am I doing? And I knew at that point she, who had attended all my various sports games, figured I probably needed some kind of encouragement. At that point then, in her very first attempt, lo and behold, she takes this jump shot and goes right through the net. And so much for encouragement. The second distinctive memory that stands out for me was just recently where her birthday and Mother's Day are not very far apart. And many of you know a little bit about the story of our our youngest. I'm the oldest of five children, and our youngest had Down syndrome. And Carol Ann passed away just last year at the age of 45. And as many of you know, that my parents on into their latter 80s would carry Carol up and down steps seven days a week, getting her ready to take on the various tasks that she had for the day. And so, wanting to draw my mom out a little bit, I asked her how she was doing. And then somehow we got to talking about Carol Ann. And my mom made an incredibly powerful statement. As she said, she, looking back over the course of her years, so that given the opportunity, I would do it all over again.
Now, it was a little hard watching these people in their 80s getting Carol up and down the steps, and I wanted to just plunge in every time I visited them, but there was something about a closed system between the three of them. They had this thing down, and there was this system of love that seemed to be working out in a form I can't even begin to describe. And the distinctive that stands on my mind regarding here is sacrificial love that is born and bred at the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus sacrificially gave of himself, setting aside his rights for the sake of responsibility to die for our sins. Each and every one of us have an opportunity to establish in the eyes of others distinctives. And Lord willing, those distinctives somehow, some way, connect us to that cross in Jesus Christ. Now what I want to do with you, we're going to explore and expand three significant realms of femininity this morning, each of which encompass various aspects of distinctives about womanhood, femininity, motherhood that I'll try to apply in this culture that we are living in. And the first realm I want to explore with you is found in verse 1. It's the realm of sound doctrine. The realm of sound doctrine. And you see it here in this verse. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now what you and I have to bear in mind is that God is causing the pen of Paul to flow. And the ink is being spilled upon this page, as it's then going to be transferred into the hands of a Titus who will be sharing it with the men and the women of that congregation. And Crete, out in the Mediterranean, was known as a setting of cultural, moral, doctrinal relativism. In fact, you can even read about it in Titus chapter 1, verse 12. Even a secularist pointed it out to various people. But there is an opening phrase here in chapter 2, verse 1 now, that creates a stark contrast. Despite all that's occurring and all that you're observing in the culture, and we can take that from Crete now and apply it to where we find ourselves in modern-day 2016 living in the States. But as for you... What God wants to do at this point is to say to you and to me that with regard to masculine and feminine distinctives within a very confused gender-based culture of today, we need a but-as-for-you approach. He is establishing now an intense, viable contrast. And in the original language, you is in the emphatic position in the original language in Greek. But as for you. And so now the family unit is to be a different breed if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. Not a perfect breed. Not by any stretch of the imagination. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what stands out is that there ought to be some articulation of the contrast between what goes on in this world and what God has to say about what ought to take place within this world. And he gets very personal with you and me. 
but as for you. And then adds this. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, what he expected Titus to do as he articulated truth to both men and women within that church on that island is that that church was to be a cutting-edge teaching church, to be able to draw distinctives, to be able to articulate doctrines, but not abstractly relating truth practically to everyday life, which is the way we've also got to approach the home life. So he says, now I want you to be highly instructional. That means then that this pastor Titus at this point has got to equip people within the homes to be highly instructional. Teach what? What accords with sound doctrine? We're going to get back to the word accords in just a minute, but notice the word sound doctrine. The word sound is a medical term. It comes from the word that we get hygiene or health from. Notice they both start with an H. What he's saying is that in this culture of Crete, where there is a lack of spiritual hygiene, where there is a lack of doctrinal health, you need to be a but as for you, church, and a but as for you, family, and mothers, a but as for you, woman. And then what you find is a way to teach verbally as well as visually what accords with health hygiene in the area of doctrine. Now, so medical is this phrase, sound doctrine, that the word doctrine and the word doctor come from the same root word. Pull all that together then, and what you are doing is offering the prescription to a culture via the church, via the family, that is in desperately need of health, that is in desperate need of a prescription because they know something is wrong but don't know quite what to do about it. Now, you take a step back and say, Gary, get practical, fast and furious, let's do it. Typically, when you and I are looking at the big issues of life pertaining to doctrine, there are five significant questions that people are posing in this day and age. The first, why am I here? And that's censored by Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Second, who am I? And that's answered by the fact we're made in the image of God. Again, chapter 2. Third, what's gone wrong? Or to put it another way, Why are we in the condition that we are in personally, culturally, nationally, globally? What's gone wrong? Now, the wise mother at this point knows she can turn to Genesis 3 and talk about the fallenness of humanity, tying it together with a teaching from Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Fourth question, what's the remedy And now you take them through the pages leading up to the cross of Jesus Christ where he died in our place for our sins. To the fifth of those questions that are being asked, where's all this lead? On the answer, of course, leads towards the second coming of Jesus Christ and the ultimate 
where all things are put together once and for all, for all of eternity? Those are the five essential questions of a worldview that both a secularist is posing and trying to figure out, and a Christian has asked and then answered via God's word. Now, the wise mother at this point has found various ways to pull together those five significant questions that people are asking. And most likely, somewhere along the way, her children are going to be asking and needs to know where to turn to be able to draw out the answers of meaning in a world of confusion. What she's doing at this point is that she is offering sound doctrine. She is offering a sense of health, functioning as the rose, the doctor in this relationship. But notice furthermore, and you're still staring this verse down, but as for you teach, what accords with sound doctrine? Because a lot of people struggle with how to relate doctrine to life. The word accords means that this wise mother at this point is going to have to figure out where in the vastness of the scriptures can I pull together answers to these five questions and what particular question is this child wrestling with at this time where I can make this thing accord with both scripture and what he or she is going through at this particular time in life. Is this a why am I here question? Is this a who am I, a self-identity question? Is this a why is everything gone wrong question? Is this a where do I go to see the answer, to find the solution question the cross? Is it a question of where is all this headed? As they get confused about the direction of this world. And this woman knows how to utilize the accord and make her answers according to both sound doctrine and the needs of the person who has these questions, whether they're verbally articulating them or not. Mums, I want you to do that. And the critical thing is that this was written initially to a pastor to be able to articulate this verse to a congregation, to equip then the people in the homes to be able to apply this practically where life matters most, whether these questions are being articulated verbally or not, the answers have got to be provided. Some of our family members were standing in Westminster Chapel in London, not the Abbey, we were there as well, but the chapel where G. Campbell Morgan and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, whose writings influenced me to leave medicine, go into the pastorate, impacted me. And we were standing there, and I was surveying the sanctuary. And various stories about both of these outstanding expositors came to mind. But as I was leaving, I I remembered one in particular about the expositor G. Campbell Morgan, who had four sons, all of whom became pastors as well. And the youngest... Howard was considered to be an outstanding expositor of God's word and once even took his father's side, his father's place on this side of the Atlantic, while Dr. Morgan was speaking in London. 
Now I'm reading from the biography where someone came into the drawing room where the family was there and thinking to find out what Howard was made of asked this question. Howard, who is the greatest expositor in your family? And without missing a beat, he answered, my mother. Now sometimes men and women who never stand in a pulpit expositing God's word wonder about the impact of their ability and their opportunity to relate truth to life. Never underestimate the exposition of God's word within the home. Never underestimate the exposition of God's word in informal conversations while you're taking somebody to a ballet lesson or somebody to a baseball game or a soccer game. These are the great opportunities of using the word accord and linking it to sound doctrine to be able to provide hygiene and health in a culture of decline. There's your starting point, sound doctrine. Now the second realm is found here in verse 3 and on into verse 4. I'll simply read it to us and so we get a hold of it. In verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women. So you start with verse 3 and it says older women. And you ask the question, and who is the older women? As if I'm going to answer that. Gotta be kidding. I remember years ago, my my wife and uh, I can't remember some of the other children in Michigan. They had just constructed some new facility for the the older population, where uh, you could go from assistant living to full-time care and on and on. And evidently, one of the people who was giving us the tour finally started to size up my mother. And she was asked by this person, and how old are you? Oh, she should not have asked that. And my mother gave her a Highlander squint of the eye and said, I am a woman of a certain age, and left the building. So... The answer to that question is that the older woman is a woman of a certain age. And so older women are then likewise, first of all, to be reverent, reverent in behavior. And it's an interesting word that Paul, he's obviously done his studies of the Crete Island, because he would have known that on the Crete Island there were false settings of worship. And there were these secularized religious sorts, priestesses, that were sacrificing to the false gods of the isle connected with Greece. You know what he does? He hijacks that word, literally hijacks that word out of their culture and then roots it right into something that would have been highly relevant to these men and these women that were pondering what Paul had to say by the work of the Holy Spirit as this relates to femininity and masculinity and says older women likewise, first of all, 
are to be reverent. In other words, that person in the secular culture had a priestly role. She was a priestess. So he hijacks it, roots it then in God's word and says, I want you to function this way. And you say, but Gary, can you give me an example biblically? And we'll give it our best shot because Mary, who would have had all ears at her tender age when it came to whole matters of motherhood, would find herself, she and Joseph, in the temple. And they're pondering the significance of all that's taking place when, lo and behold, there is this woman by the name of Anna. And she's advanced in years. And the physician, Luke, tells us in verse 37 of the second chapter, she was a widow, 84 years of age, did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And then a very poignant statement. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And there is Mary with the redemption of Jerusalem in her arms. Here is the older instructing the younger. And Mary is now having to process what is stated there with what had previously been stated by shepherds who had arrived on the scene at the time of Jesus' birth, where in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Later, Jesus would be back in that temple in a Q&A session with the rabbis of that time period and utterly astounding them with his knowledge and his wisdom. Mary and Joseph are wondering where he's been, what he's been up to, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Luke tells us they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them, and he went down with them and became and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And for a second time in Luke's writings, we're told, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Now, if you're a mom this morning, I want to ask you, what is it about God? In the five questions I posed earlier, What is it about God that you find working his strategies, his plans out, both in the good times and the bad times, that causes you to treasure up such things in your heart? Is there a treasury that's developing within your heart of the relationship of God via you to the ones that you that you love and shepherd. That's all behind that phrase, be reverent in behavior, and then adds, furthermore, nor slanderers, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. And uh, it's fascinating that that is meant to be one phrase because where much wine evidently was being drunk on the island of Crete, much slander was being produced from the same lips that were taking in the wine. Now, if you needed any point to examine a more thorough 
passage that deals with this subject. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29, some powerful questions are posed. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without kills? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long after wine, those who go to try mixed wine, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles and the cup goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent, stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart utter perverse things. And the phrase, the perverse things that are being uttered, is tied to what he's stating here not slanderers or slaves to much wine. So out of this then, what you and I find is a very powerful statement of sound doctrine getting worked out in lifestyle with this woman who's so feminine by nature, by God's grace, is then able to say they are to teach. They're to teach what is good. Which means then that this, this woman is an instructor. She has a way then of powerfully bringing to the forefront the things that matter most about the way in which truth relates to everyday life. So you're a teacher. I remember when Pam and I, I was finishing my master's degree, one of the professor's wife took a special interest in Pam and said, now, when you eventually have children, I want you to seriously considering getting a book, Leading Little Ones to God. We did, and we didn't regret it. It's a really, it's a theology book for children. It's sound doctrine that forces you and me to use the word accord in relationship to home. So now you and I begin to think about the ways in which this teaching and this training was impacted in such a degree that the older was teaching the younger. Have you ever made a connection between the midwives of Exodus chapter 1 with the decision of Moses' mother and sister in Exodus chapter 2? How politically incorrect his, these midwives were in Exodus chapter 1 that in a culture of death, they promoted a culture of life to such a degree that the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So powerful was their statement of courage that in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, imagine the inspiration that this stirred within the heart of Moses' mother, And sister, now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived, bore a child, a son, and when they saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now it gets personal. And when she, speaking of this woman, this mother, could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch and put the child in it placed it among the reeds by the river bank, and his sister then stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. And then the daughter of Pharaoh appears on the scene, and then God's 
sovereign irony at work, the preservation of that child takes place via this woman, Pharaoh's daughter, because of the uncanny, savvy approach that Moses' mother and sister had based upon the courage that these midwives had. And this is all meant to be connected together so that when you find yourself pressured in a culture of decline, and what we need is the sanctity of life, you look at the connecting elements of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and the inspiration and the courage that is found in women that were willing to stand up, stand out in time, stand alone, all for the sake of doing things for God's glory, even though it might not have been necessarily culturally acceptable in the time period in which they lived, which would have been true on Crete. And here now Paul is teaching these things. And now he's stating these things. Teach what's good. And so train the young woman. So now you reach that point where you move into the third realm. You've dealt with the sound doctrine in verse 1. That's your starting point. Out of that then you move to the older women. Found in verses 3 to the first part of verse 4. But now we move thirdly to the younger women. And in the second part of verse 4, they are to be trained in such a way to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, let's begin to examine this. First of all, the young women are told to love their husbands and children. That one word, to love, governs both aspects, husbands and children. But fascinating, it's not the Greek word, or excuse me, agape, where we get sacrificial love. It is Phileo, where we get the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. And there's to be such a cohesiveness and such a oneness within that home that she's producing this sense of, in essence, that kind of love within the context of the home itself. And there now, you and I look at that, you ponder that, the significance of all this, and you say, okay, here's my starting point then. If you're a younger woman... Look very carefully at the dynamics of my home and realize these women had to be commanded to do this because evidently this does not come natural. That in a fallen world, when all the shine wears off, you need that sovereign command and God's grace via Christ's cross to love. To love the husband, to love the children. And when we begin to do this, we begin to see the significance of what God is saying here because then the children recognize that such love carries them through the days of their lives, like John Wesley. Somewhere in my library I've got the works of John Wesley, including his journals. John Wesley was the 15th child of Susanna Wesley. He went to Oxford He's a brilliant man, incredibly well-trained. But listen to this dynamic that's drawn out in the relationship between father and mother. He said to his mother in one of his letters, I was lately advised to read Thomas Kempis. I'd seen it, never much looked into it. I think he must have been a person of great piety and devotion, but it's my misfortune to defer from him 
in some of his main points, and then Wesley goes on to describe the various points. But it's the last paragraph that caught my attention, maybe yours as well. He writes to his mom, I hope when you are at leisure, you will give me your thoughts on that subject and set me right if I am mistaken. Ponder that. Now, some of us are having to take on both roles at a certain stage of our lives. So we're going to have to answer both the masculine and the feminine questions. But begin to reflect upon how you, if you are a parent, are relating these truths to modern day life and anticipating in advance the questions that are being asked no matter which season of life you or your children find themselves in age-wise. Are you the sort, in fact, that have given them the opportunity to pose the big questions and ready to listen to what you have to say? Create within the heart a hunger, a thirst to ask the big questions within the context of worldview thinking. Train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, The word pure. Back in 2013, I'd shared this story about a woman on a farm where she went each week to the farmer's market to sell, among other things, the cottage cheese and apple butter made on her farm. She carried these two large tubs from which she ladled the cottage cheese or apple butter into smaller containers the customers brought And one day, she got to the market and discovered that she'd forgotten one ladle. And she'd left. She felt she had no choice then but to use the one she had for both products. And before long, before long, she couldn't tell which was which. And that's our world right now. Because in this world of increasing confusion, people are having a hard time distinguishing which is which. And if we are to identify one aspect of all this in the culture of today, it's no longer the ability to distinguish male from female, right from wrong, true from false, the good, the better, the best. And now God puts the church in a countercultural, cutting-edge setting to be able to articulate these things via the home. So you are self-controlled, pure. When it says working at home, it does not read working exclusively at home. But it does carry with it the idea that when you're at home, you're working. Kind. Submissive to their own husbands. And you say, well, Garrett, explain that in today's culture. I want you to think just the way I handle this when I'm doing a wedding. A couple stand before me and have asked me to do an Ephesians 5 study. At this point in time, we reach that point when I'm offering the teaching. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husband loves your wives, that kind of thing. 
And we draw out for them the fact that our model is Jesus Christ. And we see Jesus in the context of the Trinity. And in the context of the Trinity, there is spiritual equality. And at the same time, there's practical authority. Spiritual equality, Jesus is equal to the Father. Practical authority, Jesus in his earthly ministry was obedient to the Father. Spiritual equality and yet practical authority. So this gets worked out in such a way then that there is spiritual equality before and within the home. And in the decision-making process, there's tremendous respect for the order that God has given in the home so that there's tranquility when a decision that requires a real head-scratcher has to be resolved. That at that particular point, we've got this thing worked out. And God has then left you with such a degree of understanding that you can take a deep breath and go forward from there because we're trying to do it God's way. And now what you've done is you have tied together sound doctrine as your starting point. The older women as the second point. The younger women as the third point. And then I recall the time in which there was Edith Schaefer. And Edith Schaefer was superintending with Francis Schaefer, the Labrie, which was found in Switzerland. It was a place where students, particularly in the 1960s and 70s, would make their way when they were searching for the ultimate answers to life's questions. And Edith Schaefer was with a young lady, greasy hair, clothes torn, just coming off uh, an overdose of drugs, starry-eyed, glazed. Meanwhile, Francis Schaefer was busy entertaining a particular ambassador from overseas, from the U.S. And he was waiting for Edith and was wondering why Edith wasn't there. And he sent one of his colleagues to find her. And Edith said, I need to be with her. And took this woman in her arms and began to tell her about Jesus, stroking her hair, praying for her, and ultimately leading this young lady to Jesus Christ. Labrie means shelter, you see. And her son Frank Schaefer, in writing this, explained to all of us who read this that for Edith Schaefer, There were no nobodies in God's world. We're all a somebody, which means you look at each and every person that God has placed in your life made in the image of God, and now you draw out those five significant questions of sound doctrine that we started with, and then you bring it home as you think about a woman who can not only sink a jump shot at 10 o'clock at night, but also is able to say with regard to 45 years of caring for a Down syndrome daughter, I would do it all over again. And I know she means it. And so should we. Let's stand together. From others that are present, and from others who are absent. Some absent from here but present with the Lord have left a legacy, Father, of faithfulness and truth. 
as a single parent now, they've got to articulate this to the next generation. And we honor her. And we love her. For the mother's father in our midst, what we want to do now is to equip them, but the starting point is the sound doctrine. They've got to develop the worldview of the five questions getting answered into their own minds so that God's word works itself through their lips and their lives. And I pray for children grown and those still young that they're going to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and live for Jesus. So what we're looking for, Father, is this matter of the health. The healthy doctrine getting worked out through the families of this church in the various ways in which 2016 you have arranged them. All for your glory. And I pray each one leaves here affirmed, each one leaves encouraged, and each one leaves challenged to make absolutely certain our lives are right with you. We've put our faith exclusively in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And now we can take the wide scope and range of doctrine that you have articulated, crystallize it, and apply it to the questions being asked and those yet to be asked. And we'll do it all for your glory. All of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day.